0: Chapter Twenty Nine of Asphodel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, BC. Asphodel by Mary Elizabeth Braden. Chapter Twenty Nine. I mean well by god that sit above it was pleasant to drink tea at a little table in the garden of the inn with the white mountain world spread before them in all its glory flushed with the golden lights of afternoon edgar looked ineffably happy as he sat sipping his tea and watching daphne eat bread and honey which seemed her chief nutrient in this part of the world. For Swiss poultry and Swiss veal, for all the varieties of vol-au-vent, riz de veau, and fricassee, under which the inevitable calf disguised himself, she showed herself absolutely indifferent. But she had an infinite capacity for Swiss rolls and Swiss honey while they were sitting at tea resting before they began the downward walk mr churchill produced a letter which that morning's post had brought him from his mother one of those worthy commonplace letters which set one's teeth on edge when read aloud amidst the loftiest aspects of nature but edgar saw nothing beyond the love and the kindness in his mother's epistle and would have read it on the summit of caucasus yea on the topmost untrodden snow peak which the persians call the holy mountain and would have perceived no discord between the letter and the scene the dear mother's letter is full of you daphne he said would it bore you and mr goring if i were to read a little of it lena mr goring protested with a stifled yawn that he would be delighted there is nothing he asserted more interesting than domestic correspondence look at the paston letters for instance and i could fancy your mother writing quite in paston style he added graciously edgar unfolded the thin closely written sheet written in those neat sloping characters which had been drilled into all the young ladies at miss tompion's academy and crossed for the habit of crossing a letter had obtained in miss churchill's youth and she returned to it instinctively under stress of foreign postage albeit two-pence-halfpenny is not a ruinous amount to pay for a letter i am pleased to hear that daphne is enjoying herself and that she is so enthusiastic about the scenery i remember when i learned drawing at miss tompion's doing a very pretty sketch of Chamoy with mont blanc in the background in black and white chalks on tinted paper i believe some of the snow was scratched in with a penknife by seor Pastico, but all the rest was my very own and papa gave me a sovereign when the drawing was sent home it used to hang in your father's dressing-room but one of the housemaids contrived to break the glass one day with her broom handle and i did not care to go to the expense of having it reglazed gilbert is so dear for all jobs of that kind i have always understood that the jungfrau is very inferior to mont blanc but as you say byron admired it i have no doubt it is very beautiful though of course in a minor degree every geography will tell you that mont blanc is the higher i hope you are careful to avoid wet feet hum 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 mumbled edgar skipping the tender mother's injunctions about his care of his health and hurrying on to that part of the letter which related to daphne oh here it is tell daphne with my love that i'm going carefully over all the house linen weeding out all the sheets that are weak in the middle dear old mother she always will go into details and making a large addition to the table linen i have also had a new inventory made in duplicate i know that the modern idea is for the bride to provide the house linen that is all very well when the husband is a young man who has his own way to make in the world but not for my boy who has a home of his own a fine old house which his ancestors lived in and spent their money upon from generation to generation i hope daphne will be as fond of the old hawksyard glass and china which, as she knows, is the collection of more than a century, as she is of the mountains. But I am afraid the romantic kind of temperament which goes into raptures with mountains is hardly the disposition which could take delight in housekeeping and the many details of home life. I hope you won't be angry with her for saying that added edgar apologetically as he hastily folded the letter feeling that he had read too much you know she means it kindly i know she has been ever so much more indulgent than i deserve answered daphne gaily i mean to be a most dutiful daughter-in-law and to learn everything your mother will deem to teach me in the way of housekeeping, from hemming tea cloths to making mincemeat. One ought to make one's own mincemeat, ought one not, Edgar? Do you and I belong to the class who make their own mincemeat? I think it's rather a question of inclination than of rank, love but I'd rather you left the pies and puddings to the cook. I'd rather have you riding across the vale of the red horse with me than stoning raisins or chopping suet in the still room. And I would rather too. Do you know that there's a great deal of quiet sagacity in your mother's gentle depreciation of Daphne's passion for mountain scenery? said Gerald his face lighting up with something of the old mischievous spirit something of that gaiety of heart which he had teased daphne in the days when she was poppaea and he was nero this frantic admiration of snowy peaks is only a modern feeling a mere fashion and fad of the moment like the worship of chippendale furniture and adam chimney pieces the old greeks knew nothing of it the ancients never raved about their mountains they valued them only because their tops touched the blue ether the world peopled by the gods even your shakespeare the man of universal mind had no passion for mountain lands because he had never seen anything higher than the rankin poor darling said daphne with delicious compassion as if she were speaking of a london arab who had never seen a buttercup ruskin thinks it was good for his genius to have seen so little no mountain passions were to be allowed to shakespeare he says shakespeare could be allowed no mountains not even any supreme natural beauty he had to be left with his king cups and clover pansies the passing clouds the avon's flow and the undulating hills and woods of warwickshire lest it should make him in the least overrate their power on the strong full-fledged minds of men that is remarkably clever said daphne but there is a tone of calm superiority about it which makes my blood boil why will all the critics insist upon patronizing shakespeare as if they knew so much more about him than ever he knew about himself talk of vivisection indeed vivisection is not half so atrocious as the way shakespeare has been treated by modern criticism and now when all the valley below them lay steeped in golden light when the northward-facing mountains were beginning to take the chill cold gray of evening and the western pinnacles were flushed with rose and purple they began their descent of the narrow winding way gaily to all seeming for they talked a good deal and daphne lingered on her way to gather the wild flowers that grew on the thymy banks harebells and clover genetian and the alpine rose a white starry flower with a long fragile stem and delicate ferns and here and there a handful of wild strawberries gerald had more than once to insist upon her hastening her footsteps lest night should overtake them on the steep mountain path if you loiter so much i will put you into a wooden sledge when we get to the halfway house and run you down the mountain he threatened lovelier and yet more lovely looked the pine woods the green slopes, the fertile valley, the faraway white peaks, so shadowy, so awful in the changing lights of evening. Half the sky was ablaze with crimson and orange, fading off into tender opalescent greens and purples, the indescribable hues of rare jasper and rarer jade, as they neared the Stalbush, they had loitered as long as was safe to loiter the lamps were lighted at the inn and their coachman was watching for their return they drove home through the gray twilight which was fast deepening into night and through a landscape of deepest gloom a narrow region walled in by dark hills far apart telling of lonely lives of humblest peasant homes where pleasure and variety were unknown a life of monotonous labor hidden from the world have you enjoyed your day daphne asked lena as they drove home the rapid river flowing noisily beside them the white foam on the waters flashing through the gloom enjoyed it there is no word big enough to say how delightful it has been it is a day that will stand apart in the history of my life answered daphne slipping her hand lovingly through her sister's arm what a privileged nature to be so easily made happy said gerald with a palpable sneer people are apt to let slip society's mask in such a moment on the dark road shut in by mountain and wood after a long and thoughtful silence forgetting that feeling is audible in the darkness though faces are hidden and the clouded brow or the quiver of the lip is invisible general goring had been thinking deeply during the hillside walk and the homeward drive touched inexpressibly by madeline's affection and trying as honestly as was possible to a character which was not given to mental or moral effort trying to face a future clouded over with fears could he ever be again as he had been Madeline's true lover? This was the question which he asked himself, coming down the hill in the glory of the evening light, a little aloof from the other three. His honor and reverence for her were in no wise lessened by that fatal passion which had changed the current of his life. He knew that of all women he had ever met, she was the noblest and the best. That with her life would be lifted above the sordid, vulgar level of selfish pleasures and sensual indulgences, and that as her husband he could not fail to become in some wise useful to his species, to win some measure of renown and to leave a name behind him that would sound sweet in the ears of generations to come he could imagine her in the riper beauty of matronhood the mother of his children training up his sons to tread the lofter paths of life rearing his daughters in an atmosphere of purity and love he pictured her at the head of his household he told himself that with such a wife he must be an idiot if he missed happiness and then he looked with gloomy despairing eyes at the other side of the question and tried to realize what his life would be with the butterfly being who had crept into his heart and made herself its empress as well as he knew lena's perfection did he know daphne's faultiness she was frivolous selfish shallow capricious vehement, yes but he loved her she had no higher idea of this world than as a place made exquisitely beautiful in order that she might be happy in it nor of her fellow-creatures than as persons provided to minister to her pleasures nor of the future beyond life than as a vague misty something which had better not be thought about nor of duty but as a word found in the church catechism and which one might banish from one's mind after one's confirmation yes but he loved her her faultlessness did not lessen his love by the weight of a grain of thistledown he yearned to take her to his heart faulty as she was and cherish her there for ever he longed to spend the rest of his days with her and it seemed to him that life would be worthless without her she might prove a silly wife a careless mother yes but he loved her for him she was just the one most exquisite thing in creation the one supreme necessity of his soul yes that is what she is he said to himself as he sat in the summer darkness with dreamy eyes looking upward to the lonely melancholy hills where huge arolas of a thousand years growth spread their black branches against the snow line just above them what a desolate world it looked in the gathering gloom only a few solitary stars gleaming in the infinite remoteness of the sky The moon not yet risen above yonder snowy battlements. It was past nine o'clock when they drove into the shrubberied approach to the Jungfraubik. The hotel looked dazzling after the obscurity of the valley. Daphne would have liked to dash into the billiard-room and challenge her lover to a game but since it was impossible for a young lady to play at a public table she went upstairs to the sitting-room on the first floor where sir vernon was waiting for them and where there was a table spread with tea whole chickens and rolls and honey lina sat by her father telling him the history of their day and hearing all he had to say about his letters and papers edgar was in tremendous spirits and inclined to make fun of the queer little village on the edge of everlasting snows daphne was talkative sir vernon was gracious it was only gerald goring who bore no part in the conversation he looked worn and wearied with the day's work and yet it had been nothing for an alpine climber a mere constitutional walk barely enough to keep a man in training when tea was over he retired to the balcony and sat there smoking cigarettes and watching the moon climb the dark slopes of heaven while the others looked over newly arrived papers and periodicals and discussed tomorrow's trip to grindenwald and the glaciers the morning came as fair and fresh a dawn as ever peeped shyly across the edge of the alps but gerald watching the slow kindling of the rosy glow after a sleepless night greeted the new day with no thanksgiving. To him, in his present frame of mind, it would have seemed a good thing if that day had never dawned, if this planet Earth had dropped out of its place in the starry possession, and gone down to darkness and chaos like a torch burnt out. He rose with that in inexorable sun, which pursues his course with so little regard for the griefs and perplexities of humanity and was out in the dewy woods above the hotel before civilized people were stirring anything was better than to lie on a sleepless couch staring at the light here moving about among the dark pine stems treading the narrow tracks shifting his point of view at every turn in the path life was less intolerable he could think better his brain was clearer his pulse less feverish what was he to do he asked himself helplessly what did wisdom counsel what did honour urge surely about this latter voice there could be no question honour would have him be true to madeline at any sacrifice of his own feelings duty was plain enough here he had pledged himself to her by every bond which honest men hold sacred he must keep his word but if we are both miserable for life he asked himself can she be happy if i am wretched and what charm has existence for me without daphne you must forget daphne urged duty your first and nobler love must obtain the mastery you must pluck this idle weed this mere caprice out of your heart he told himself that the thing was to be done and he would try honestly to do it he would steel himself against daphne's wiles did not ulysses pluck himself away from the enchantress's fatal island wrench himself out of her very web and get home to ithaca sound in body and mind and live happily ever after with his faithful penelope or at least this is the popular idea of ulysses in spite of those breathings of slander which makes the Circe episode something more than platonic what nobler image can life give than that of a faithful lover a loyal husband tempted and yet true nor did poor little daphne go out of her way to exercise circadian arts she charmed as the flowers charm innocently and unconsciously she was no becky sharp weaving a subtle web out of people's looks and smiles drooping lashes lifted eyelids the arrowy gleams of fatal green eyes she wanted to be faithful to her lover and loyal to her sister her letter had been straight and true if he sinned he sinned of his own accord and had no such excuses as adam used against the partner god had given him he wandered about restlessly in an utterly purposeless way till it was time to go back to the seven o'clock breakfast he would have liked to start alone for the shining slate mountain yonder to spend the day there in a sultry solitude lying a little reading Haney a little Haney's ballad book had been his gospel of late idling away the empty day and growing wiser and better in solitude but he was pledged to go in beaten tracks to go and eat and drink at the bear and gaze at the lower glacier like a cook's tourist and be faintly interested in the coachman's exposition of the view and be blandly tolerant of girls selling weiss and boys waking the echoes with alpine horns and all the conventional features of that exquisite drive from interlaken to grindelwald however much he might affect to despise the familiar route he could not deny the beauty of the landscape by and by when they all seated in the carriage and had crossed the Lucene for the first time, and were climbing slowly up the raised road above the river. It was a brilliant morning, the wooded hills steeped in sunlight and balmy summer air, the tender green of the young shoots showing bright against the sombre darkness of the everlasting pines water rushing down the hillsides every here and there sometimes a torrent sometimes a fine thread like spun glass dropping from crag to crag the two young men got out of the carriage and walked up the hills the valley through which the road wound was exquisitely verdant a scene of pastoral beauty fertile richly wooded but passing lonely daphne sorely missed the dappled kine which relieve and animate a warwickshire landscape what in heaven's name has become of the cattle she exclaimed here are meadows and homesteads and gardens and orchards but not a living object in the landscape I thought Switzerland swarmed with cows and was musical with cowbells. And where is the chorus of herdsmen singing the Rens de Vache? Perhaps there has been an outbreak of foot-and-mouth disease, and the cows have all been condemned, speculated Edgar. Gerald explained that the cattle and their keepers had all gone up into the higher regions to crop the summer herbage and that accounts for this green and silent valley said daphne it is rather a romantic idea but i should have liked to see the cattle all the same i adore cows i think a jersey cow with her stag-like head and eyes "'is almost the loveliest thing in creation.' "'You shall have a herd of them at Hawksyard,' exclaimed Edgar eagerly, "'and I will build you a Swiss cowhouse at the end of the walnut walk.' "'Thank you so much,' said Daphne, with a faint smile, "'but I was thinking of them only in the abstract.' there were times when any allusion to Hawksyard and the future irritated her like the sting of a summer insect children appeared at every turn of the circuitous road here a sickly large-eyed girl offered a handful of dingy idyllice there an unkempt elf-fed boy ran beside the horses flapping off the flies with a leafy branch of ash or walnut. And anon appeared the mountain musician playing his plaintive strain upon the native horn and waking melancholy echoes among the solemn hills. The road crossed the river several times, over covered bridges, wooden arcades, which made a picturesque bit in the landscape a pleasant lounging place too on such a summer morning but there seemed to be nobody about save the five fopping boys and women and children offering new milk or the everlasting eidelweiss it was the first time daphne had seen the little velvety white flower "'and she was keenly interested in it. "'Poor little colourless ice-blossom, "'so pale and dull-looking, "'like a life without joy or variety,' she said. "'They say that it grows under the snow. "'How nice it would be to go and hunt for it myself. "'Please give the children plenty of money, Edgar, "'and Mr. Churchill Whose pockets were always full of loose Helvetian coins, leaden sous, and dingy looking half francs, scattered his largesness among the natives with a liberality rare in modern excursionists. Halfway up the hill they came to a rustic restaurant where the horses stopped to blow and where the coachman invited the ladies to go and see a tame chamois in a little shed at the back of the house. He will be the first of his race, I have seen, said Daphne, though in Manfred's time this part of the country seems to have been overrun by them. They went through the restaurant kitchen to the shed behind it, to see the four-footed mountain-ear. It was a melancholy little animal, altogether a shabby specimen of the chamois tribe, and looked sadly forlorn in his narrow den. One of his horns had been broken off, perhaps in the struggles that attended his capture. "'It is a painful sight,' said Daphne, turning away with a sigh. She would have given all her pocket money to set the chamois free, but he was one of the attractions of the house, and could not have been easily ransomed. And now again across the black lutashi by another covered bridge, and up the steep winding road through a narrow gorge in the hills, until the cleft widens and the Grindwald valley opens before them in all its glory ringing round with mountains the great igor standing boldly out in front of them with broad patches of snow on his dark stony front behind a bold edge of pine-clad hill There is unspeakable grandeur in that bleak and rugged mountain rising above the verdure and beauty of the nearer hills. Daphne clasped her hands in unalloyed delight. It would be worth while coming to Switzerland if it were only for this, she exclaimed. Yet I am tortured by the idea of all the mountain passes, glaciers, and waterfalls that we are not going to see. I have a great mind to throw away my Baydecker. He makes me positively miserable with suggestions that I can't carry out you will be able to see all you care about next year said edgar when you and i are free to go where we like i believe it will be always where you like next year seems half a century off she answered carelessly their journey was nearly done the carriage went down into the valley then climbed another hill and they had passed the outskirts of the village of Grinwald, and were drawing up in the garden in front of the bear hotel. Very full of life and bustle was the inn garden on this bright summer morning, tourists without number standing about or sitting under the veranda. Americans, Germans, English, French all full of life and enjoyment some starting with their alpenstocks intent on pedestrian excursions ladies and sedentary middle-aged gentlemen being hoisted on to mules carriages driving in horses being fed and cleaned a babble of languages a perpetual moving in and out mr goring ordered a slight reflection of wine and coffee rolls and honey to be brought to a pleasant spot under the veranda at a point where the view across the deep valley to the hills beyond was widest and grandest here they rested themselves a little before starting on foot for the lower glacier both madeline and daphne were in favor of walking i went on a mule when i was here with my father said lena and i remember thinking how much i should have preferred being free to choose my own path it was a lovely walk so soon as they were clear of the hotels and boarding houses and the scattered wooden chalets of the village just such a ramble as daphne loved a narrow footpath winding up and down a verdant hillside here a garden and there an orchard funny little cottages and cottage gardens perched anyhow on slopes and angles of the road a rustic bridge across the rocky bed of a river and there in front of them the glacier a mass of corrugated ice lying on a steep slope between two mountains shining beautiful like a pale sapphire they loitered as much as they pleased by the wayside daphne straying here and there as her fancy led her a restless bird-like creature almost seeming to have wings so lightly did she flutter from hillock to crag; so airy was the step with which she skimmed along the narrow rocky pathway beaten by the feet of so many travellers they spent a good deal of time in the immediate neighbourhood of the glacier doing it thoroughly as edgar remarked afterwards with a satisfied air and then they went quietly back to the bear and dined in a corner of the big barren dining-room and drove back to Interlaken in the summer dusk gerald almost as silent as he had been the night before during the much shorter drive from Luterbrennen. I'm afraid it bores you to go over the ground you know so well, said Madeline, grieved at her lover's silence, which looked like depression or mental weariness. No, the country is too lovely. One could hardly tire of it, he answered. But don't you think it intensely melancholy? there is something in the silence and darkness of these hills which fills my soul with gloom even the lights scattered about here and there are so remote and so few that they only serve to intensify the solitude so long as sunlight and shadow give life and motion to the scene it is gay enough but with nightfall one finds out all at once how desolate it is. There was more excursioning next day, and again on the next. Then came Sunday morning and church, and then a walk through the pine woods to see some athletic sports that were held in a green basin which made a splendid amphitheater round whose grassy sides the audience sat picturesquely grouped on the velvet sward on this day the young women came out in all the glory of their canton costume snowy habit shirts and black velvet bodices silver chains pendant from their shoulders silver daggers or arrows thrust through their plaited hair long silk aprons of brightest colors a costume which gave new gaiety to the landscape then in the evening there was a concert at the little conversation house in the walnut avenue a concert so crowded by native and foreigner that there was never an empty seat in the veranda and the waiters were at their wits ends to keep everyone supplied with tea and coffee lemonade and wine after the concert there were fireworks colored lights to glorify the fountains almost the gayest brightest scene that daphne's eyes had ever looked upon then when bengal lights and rockets had faded and vanished into the summer night they walked quietly back to the hotel under a starry sky. "'I believe Daphne likes Bengal lights better than stars,' said Gerald mockingly, as he gave Madeline his arm and went on with her in advance of the others across a field that lay on the other side of the walnut walk.' you may believe anything you like of daphne's bad taste and general idiocy the girl retorted and lena was distressed at thinking how dis- agreeable these two whom she would have had so affectionately attached always were to each other and all the while gerald goring was wondering what he was to do with his life whether it was possible to break the chain which bound him that golden chain which had once been his chief glory whether it were possible to reconcile honour and love they left interlaken next morning and went straight through to the little station at montreux daphne who had pored over her Badker till she fancied that she knew every inch of Switzerland, was deeply grieved at not being able to go on to Lucerne, and the Rigi, Fluen, and all the Tell district, but Sir Vernon would go no farther than Interlaken. He considered that he had made a sufficient sacrifice of his own comfort already for his younger daughter's pleasure i hate moving about and i detest hotels he said i am yearning for the quiet of my own house after this no more could be said daphne gave herself up to silent contemplation of the jungfrau range throughout the journey by boat and rail hardly taking her eyes from these snowy peaks till they melted from her view fading ghost-like in the blue ether they seem to be a part of my life she said as she turned from the carriage window with a regretful sigh i cannot bear to think that i have seen the last of them only for this year answered edgar cheerily not caring much for mountains in the abstract, but ready to admire anything that Daphne loved. It is such an easy matter to come to Switzerland nowadays. The Jungfrau is as accessible as Brighton Pier. End of chapter 29 Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.